0: Hi, I'm Sylvia Doss, and welcome to my re Health podcast, where we explore the space where our health, technology, and information merge. Before I introduce you to our guest today, Dr. Megan Peisman, I want to give you a quick overview on the topic. Now, today, we'll be exploring applied behavioral analysis, also known as ABA therapy, Demand for ABA therapy has accelerated rapidly since the early 1990s, and although ABA therapy has other uses, much of the increase has been in the realm of interventions for individuals diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Families of people with autism have played a significant role in advocating for public policy, changes to how insurance covers these services and how employers cover it within our employee benefit pro- programs. These changes have increased the availability of and funding for ABA services. Now, despite that, there still remains some confusion, misunderstandings, misrepresentations, uh, you know, regarding these services its applications and qualifications for practicing ABA professionally. So today we brought in an expert, Dr. Peisman. Dr. Peisman has accumulated over 11 years of education, training, and research experience in this area. She earned her master's degree in human services, applied behavioral analysis at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And during her program, she worked on the inpatient neurobehavior unit at the Kennedy Krieger Institute, where she provided intensive assessment and treatment of severe challenging behaviors. She also has received her doctorate degree, which is why I'm referring to her as Dr. Peisman, and she's gained her doctorate degree in applied behavioral analysis at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And during her doctoral program, she worked at the Monroe Meyer Institute in the Center for Autism Spectrum Disorders and Pediatric Feeding Disorders Clinic. Now, Dr. Peisman specializes in providing comprehensive ABA services using a telehealth model and collaborating on the development and growth of a hybrid program for individuals with feeding disorders and learning deficits or behavioral excesses. I know that she speaks globally, 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 globally on this topic. She helps others through her company, Imbuity. Megan, I'm so glad to have you with us today. Thank
1: you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and, and contribute to your awesome mission.
0: Excellent, excellent. So I, I've given this overview, but you're the expert. So, you know, share with us some information. Um, on ABA therapy, what it is, who it helps, how it came about, um, just from your experience.
1: Sure. So um, as you mentioned, you know, ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis, and that's a science that focuses on the understanding of uh, why you know, behaviors occur so that we can respond in a way that is beneficial or therapeutic to the individual. Said another way, ABA is about using data to understand behavior so we can effectively improve people's lives in ways that are meaningful and significant to them. Um, you know, To give you a, a bit more background on, on our field, uh, behavior analysts have been around for decades, uh, but we became very active in the scientific community in the 60s and 70s. And then, like you mentioned, there was a boom in the 90s where we were most recognized for our success in helping individuals with autism spectrum disorder. Um, But in the last two decades, we established a certification board. uh, We've established numerous state and national um, organizations and conferences and are now really actively working toward uh, acquiring licensure across um, all 50 states. So I think, yeah, it's quite an endeavor. Um, You know, just like you mentioned with... The insurance coverage um, that's been an ongoing, you know, fight to increase access and you know affordability of ABA services. But now we're also really driving that force toward licensure, so that you know we can be recognized at a state level um, equal to other professions who have been around as long or, or longer than us.
0: I recall when I was um, designing benefits and, and developing strategy for companies. And this really became very, you know, interesting to us, and really to the to our employees who had children with autism. A big issue, at least as I saw it at the time, was that ABA therapy was not crafted specifically. It wasn't as if, okay, if someone comes in and they want A want ABA therapy, they do A, B, C, and D. It was m- much more custom to the person.
1: Am mm-hmm. I correct? Oh yes, okay. very individualized.
0: Okay, so it could be short, it could be long, it could take all different forms.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, the science of behavior analysis is about the individual organism, whether you know that's an animal or a person. It's about understanding what makes that behavior occur in the environment that it's occurring in. So it's all about understanding the person. You know, what motivates them, what doesn't motivate them at a personal level? Like, you know, what do they like, what do they not like? Uh, how do they learn best? All those things. So, it's ABA is really about the individual and tailoring it to their needs specifically.
0: That is so interesting. So, how did you become interested in this?
1: Well, let's see. So I knew since I was very young that I wanted to work with children and in the fields of psychology. So I, th- I would think since middle school, really, I you know, was really interested in a variety of different areas, but really looking at child psychology. And uh, when I entered college, I expected to work toward becoming a clinical psychologist and perhaps one that was similar to BD Wong in Law and Order Special Victims Unit, Uh, you know, where, you know, (laughs) he, you know, uh, collaborated with uh, law enforcement to kind of provide assessment and uh, consultation for um, children experiencing trauma. And uh, that was my, at the time, you know, I was like super interested in that. But my university uh, had other plans for me, so I I was fortunate to be accepted into this special program called uh, a psychology learning community where I got to live with and take advanced psych classes with other members that were accepted. And one of the courses had each faculty you know, each week come to present on their field and their research. So within my first semester, I discovered behavior analysis and I also learned in that class no. that it is not the same as the behavioral analysis unit in the Criminal Minds. That was a very, <laughs> you know, very hot show at the time. And so even to this day, sometimes when I mention behavior analysis, they think I'm talking about profiling with the FBI. From there, you know, I I followed my interests. Which brought me through many different research and clinical experiences that ended with uh, you know the certification in behavior analysis, my doctoral degree, and then now licensure as a behavior analyst. So though through it all, I am very passionate about this field and what I can do for others. and my goal is to do what I can to help a variety of people and situations in my career as a behavior analyst.
0: And you've moved toward this focus in telemedicine, but just before we get there, how would this therapy look? I mean, just give because I understand it's custom, but you could just give, give us an idea of how it would look outside of the telemedicine environment.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, you know, this gets to your question, like who does ABA help? Well, um, extensive research on ABA therapy has demonstrated that behavior analysts can increase quality of life across a vast array of people in a multitude of settings and a variety of different health concerns. Um, And so, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're widely known for our work with intellectual and developmental disabilities because the data suggests that, you know, ABA is more successful at increasing skills and reducing the primary and associated symptoms of these disorders. Um, And that can look like, you know, um, low motivation, uh, intolerance to changes to routine in the environment, social struggles, um, self-care deficits and behavior challenges like noncompliance, aggression or uh, self-injury. However, you know, like we like we're talking about, you know, ABA helps people with everyday problems like uh, work safety and productivity, uh, sleep problems and other health struggles, um, building relationships, bullying, you know, uh, preventing and responding to bullying poor you know, when they have poor communication skills, academic performance, and just a lot more. Um, we also help children, teens, adults, older adults. So behavioral gerontology is a big area of need. You know, we're at the point where, um, older, older adults are going to outnumber those who are younger. Um, and yeah and we have this growing increase in Alzheimer's. And so ABA has a huge space for helping adults as well. And so really it's just what's exciting and fascinating about behavior analysis is that we can do it all. Um, And we wanna collaborate with other professionals where possible to ensure that our clients are getting the most out of their healthcare.
0: Wow, I had never thought about it that way. And particularly you mentioned the gerontology, it's like, wow.
1: Mhm wow. we're going to be outpaced soon. There's going to be more adults over the age of I think it was like 50 or 60 than there are cumulative of all the other ages. So it's going to be a huge um social and um health related concern.
0: Mhm. Something we really need to prepare for, think about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So why telemedicine in this space?
1: Well, telehealth, um, it has been an amazing, honestly, just an amazing development in healthcare for a number of years now, actually. Uh, it started with physicians um, back in as early as 2002, actually, which is, right, like super surprising. Yeah. Um, there was a paper last year in 2018 by um, Speyer and colleagues where they explored the research that's been put out there um, and they, you know, did some filtering and whatnot. But they found of these 44 studies they reviewed that 51% of the telehealth research uh, involved psychology-related interventionists. So that's just like a general phrase for kind of encompassing a variety of different people who work in psychology. Um, And then the highest percentages from there were um, nurses and professionals like social workers, physical therapists, pharmacists, yeah um, huh. speech yeah speech pathologists. so uh, it's been going on for a while, um, but in comparison, telehealth is pretty new within behavior analysis. Um, and we, we're steadily publishing more and more research um, and, and clinical applications of ABA therapy with telehealth over the last few years. But what makes you know telehealth so important right now is that there are simply not enough behavior analysts to help everyone locally. Uh, okay. so, you know, for example, the prevalence of autism spectrum disorder, you know, just as an example, is increasing based on the estimates by the Centers for Disease Control. But many individuals don't receive um, access to the intensive treatment um, that they need due to limitations in, obviously, insurance coverage, but also mainly because there is an insufficient number of licensed or credentialed behavior analysts available. Uh, So here's the math for you. So if we assume right now, that there are 4 million individuals with an autism diagnosis in the United States. And that would mean that there's only one credentialed behavior analyst for every 121 individuals with autism. That's insane, right? Wow. One one professional per 121 individuals with autism. So think about, that's a small, 4 million is so small compared to, you know, the population as a whole. And behavior analysts, we help everyone we help everyone um we do everyday problems as well so that there are not enough of us out there so (laughs) that that ratio deficit for the general population um is is huge so you know we the staggering issue means that we need to find solutions that you know increase access and affordability um of care using technology because Mm -hmm. You know, most people, I think uh, the government put out some statistics, um, I think the last report was 2016, and like 89% of people uh, have a internet subscription, and I think like 81% have a smart device. So if you just think about just the general access to technology we have um, and affordability for people, that means that those are people who could be accessing care through telehealth. Um, And so behavior analysts, you know, are really able to serve individuals that live rurally or in high population areas that just don't, you know, they have a higher demand than, you know, in lower supply of behavior analysts. So what makes telehealth so great is that we're in a great time for technological advancement, access to that technological, um, those technological changes. And, behavior analysts know how to use technology and our universal principles to help others. So it's just a really great fit, um, telehealth and applied behavior
0: analysis. Yeah, I'm all about using technology really where it makes sense. And and Megan, I actually heard a number yesterday um, for smart devices that was even higher than that. You know, I believe it. everybody. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, like yeah. the last data set from the government was, I think, like 2016. So we're in 2019. So I can only <laughs> imagine how much that's increased.
0: Yeah, I heard up in the, up in the 90s as far as, you know, everyone. And, and it doesn't really matter their stage in life or, you know, where they're living. They have access to it. And I think something that's so interesting about telehealth is, and I recall when it first started, kind of becoming a little bit more prominent, there was this, this perception that, oh, well, it's good for people out in rural areas where there aren't any doctors. But, you know, as you mentioned, there's just more higher concentrations of people Mm -hmm. within cities. And then cities are so hard to get around in. Yep. Generally.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just the commute time, alone for for families and the professionals. So, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of um, our, our clients in AVA therapy are school age. So you have families who work during the day, um, have to get to their child's school, pick them up from school, commute from work to, to the school, get to the school to the home, assuming this is home-based services, and yeah. get their child there and in the meantime, the professional is also having to go to and from um, clients' homes. And so that's a lot of drive time that's lost um, when we could be, you know, that's lost time that we could be spending with more face-to-face contacts with our clients and families receive high-quality care. So I 100% agree with you. The, the commutes um, in these high-population areas really become a barrier um, for families.
0: And I think to your point of having professionals who really know how to use um, telehealth, it makes a difference. It's not just just some random person on TV. You can form a connection with people, you know, if you can see them, Mm -hmm. even though they may not be in the same room with with you. You can form a relationship with them and a connection with them.
1: Exactly. You know, it's about, you know, getting to know your client, you know, and, your, and the professional that, you, that you're um, working with um, at a personal level, but also, you know, just taking the time when you start that, you know, a client, you know, in this case, behavior analyst relationship that, you know, you really get a good background, understand that, you know, that family's culture, what their preferences are, what their values are. And that becomes the foundation of how you're going to individualize their care.
0: Okay. That's a nice ad. Cuz what I was wondering is what should we be concerned about you know in using telehealth for this type of therapy or for any type of therapies kind of in this space.
1: Yeah. Um well, I would say that, you know, at a minimum there there are minimum standards outlined by the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which is HIPAA. Okay. And so we all know HIPAA, but Many of us don't say the the full phrase. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. Um, You know, so those there are laws that um, you know outline minimum standards and you know requirements. So there is HIPAA. There's also a really great organization called the American Telemedicine Association. Um, and they have, um, you know, some guidelines out there as well. And then each, you know, insurance funder will have some, you know, requirements and then of course just general state laws. So it's really important for families, you know, caregivers to know their healthcare rights. And this is true regardless if its you know, ABA therapy, but if it's, you know, just your rights with your medical doctors, um, any other healthcare, you know, so to know your rights and familiarize yourself with Um, the provider's policies and procedures. And and when it comes to technology, you know, just having a basic understanding of what they're using. um, And, you know, we we just live in an age where there are data breaches. And so you want to know how they store your protected health information or your PHI um, and who has access to it. So you also may see some, you know, companies um, attempt to use the telehealth model as a means to greatly increase a practitioner's uh, caseload. And this is not necessarily a good way to operate because it communicates that you know, increased profit is the driving force behind adopting a telehealth model, when instead it should be about the appropriate number of clients for that practitioner receiving the highest quality care possible, uh, which translates to increased accessibility and direct contact with a practitioner. Because the benefit about telehealth is you're cutting out that drive time, you're, you know, decreasing costs across the board for yourself as your as well as your clients, and you're able to see, you're able to lay eyes on that child or in, on that individual more often um, to just, you know, enhance that high quality care. So I would really say those are the two big things, like know your healthcare rights, know what technology is being used um, and who has access to it. And then just be aware that having telehealth um, is it's not it's not a decrease in quality. It's really about enhancing your access and the quality of care you receive.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you added that. And, you know, with this podcast, I wanted to really talk about health and technology and and that needs to be our role in it. You're absolutely right. You know, it's not just that everything just moves to technology and we just keep on. Keep (laughs) on keeping on. You know, yeah, don't pay attention to anything. I mean, we do. We do need to know. We do need to take some precautions and and make sure that, you know, we're working with people who are legitimate and, and who are trying to do things in the right way. So getting back to children with autism, What are your thoughts on how ABA therapy ranks with other types of options and treatments?
1: Oh, such a great question. Uh, So um, due to the decades of the well-designed research that we've done with populations exhibit um, behavior challenges and skill deficits, and because our approach is grounded in the universal principles of behavior uh, in relation to the internal and you know, external environment, meaning within the person and outside the person, uh, we've successfully demonstrated that ABA therapy is the most effective treatment for individuals with autism and other related disorders. Um, The CDC recognizes ABA as a notable treatment, and the government continues to fund large scale research uh, using our interventions. Um, It's even now to the point where as of this fall, so fall 2019, all 50 states now have a mandate for insurance to cover ABA as a medically necessary treatment for autism. That was a huge celebration this month. Um, It just happened. And so, you know, getting all 50 states to cover ABA has been a long, hard road, but it's a massive step forward for those families and, um, you know, with children that need care. Uh, But I, you know, I do want to emphasize that it's extremely important for behavior analysts to coordinate care with professionals that provide care for other health needs or uh, health needs related to the, their behavioral needs um, that they're receiving ABA for. So for example, uh, many children with autism you know have behavior challenges and they're prescribed medication uh, to assist in their care. Now I would argue that much wow. of the time, the medication is unnecessary, but you know I digress. In and mo- those yeah. cases, <laughs> in 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 those cases, it's important and it just it's imperative that the introduction or withdrawal of behavioral treatment um, at specific times depends on communicating with a physician to properly manage those medication changes. And relative to the behavioral changes that are happening in therapy. Um, another example is, although you know we do specialize in increasing communication skills for individuals with uh, communication deficits, we are not trained in the same physiological knowledge that speech language pathologists are. So this means there are very specific variables that only a speech language pathologist can appropriately consider. So behavior analysts should collaborate with them when appropriate. But you know what i'm trying to say here is that you know we do a lot of things with a, a lot of different people with different needs but we just we were the first to really just have these massive huge therapeutic effects for this population um, and it's all backed by uh, research you know really well done research um, and not just groups You know group comparisons. You know where a lot of times you see things on you know on the news where they're talking about these studies and they're talking about oh we compared this group of people who did get treatment and this group of people who didn't. The major what makes us unique is the majority of our research that backs our clinical practice is individual level. So we um, you know we might do a few studies where we just. Apply, um, you know, these treatments to a couple people, you know, a handful, and look at them individually and how the treatment affects them personally. And then once we see, oh, amongst that a uh, small number of participants, it really, really helps. Then we start doing bigger and bigger studies. So even down to our research, we are focused on um, the individual. Um, so yeah I would say we rank really, really high for, yeah, for individuals yeah. with autism.
0: Yeah, and that research is important, and I'm glad you add just how you know people should think about research if they're looking at that research. I, you know I am all about even you know the average person, you don't have to have you know a bunch of degrees no. to be able to. Start digging around and study and try to figure out what's going on so that you can have some good questions. It was interesting. Um, I had a question this morning from someone about a drug that they were taking, and I was like, well, let's just pull it up. And, you know, I know now from research that I've done that there's some pretty good sources out there. You can start to understand how things work, why it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what, what's the information on it?
1: Yeah, and, and since we're on this, I, I'd, I'd love to do another uh, add another point here that I think would be really helpful to, to your listeners. Um, I want I want to say that there are a lot of croc therapies out there for autism and I, and I mean absolute junk that is not science and certainly not effective therapy. So kind of going with what you had just said, I really highly recommend this book by uh, Dr. Sabrina Freeman. Um, It's a long title, but it's called uh, The Complete Guide to Autism Treatments, a parent's handbook. Make sure your child gets what works. And this book is appropriate for every parent because it helps you understand um, in very simple ways how to evaluate any therapy you're you're considering to determine if it's based in science and whether it's effective. Because like you said, it is so hard sometimes to consume the information you're given about something that's out there. And a lot of parents, you know, they're just desperate. They really want to do what's right for their family. They want to do what's right for their child. And so that book targets um, parents of autism only because every snake oil salesman out there is trying to sell junk treatments for autism. Like it's the biggest fad out there. And the worst Part of it all, like I said, is that they're preying on just people, good people who want to do what's best for their child. Um, and, the, and the worst part as well is that these junk treatments have caused children to die. So it's, I think this book is a mm. wonderful start, um, especially because it, it goes over the big ones that are out there. And so I think it's yeah. a really great resource um, for that purpose.
0: Wow, thank you for sharing that, and we can share it out on on our site as well.
1: awesome
0: yeah it's all it's all about having the information excellent. so I also you know throughout my podcast, I like to talk about kind of obstacles mm-hmm. and a lot of times they're just obstacles they just are obstacles right yes and I mean, and that's one of them is just not having the information, just mm-hmm. not knowing where to go when it comes to Telehealth and ABA therapy. What are some of the barriers that you see that people have?
1: Sure. Well, I think some people perceive telehealth as less than, but I think it is going to be. It's it's only going to be less quality if that's how it's being designed, right? Just like any anything right. can be done poorly, and so so far, you know, we have uh, good research to show that telehealth is effective when focusing our treatment on one or two problems at a time. But we do need more research demonstrating um, telehealth for comprehensive, um, meaning intensive ABA services on a large scale to determine, you know, are there any differences? But from my experience, when done well, telehealth increases quality of care because you can, you know, see and your clients more often, you know, access different, you know, Challenges that they may have with the new technology. You know, for example, like now there's cameras that uh, enable us to remotely come, you know, pop in, as well as cloud storage, yeah. the feed, and can see in the dark. So now we can help families with children that are having sleep problems much more effectively. Wow. You know, so like it's in autism, especially um, it's a huge, uh, very common problem is having sleep issues. So I think that um, a lot of it are just perceived barriers or kind of assumptions about like, well, how could it possibly be? as good of quality as being, seeing, you know, your physician and, or your, your clinician, whoever in person. Um, but I would say on the operation side and any family who receives some degree of in-home services, um, they'll know this. It's really hard to find, even if you're looking for a babysitter, I mean, it's really hard <laughs> to find qualified yeah staff to serve as the direct care therapist. That's the case, whether it's telehealth or not. But when you're serving families in rural areas or areas that um, there's not enough um, clinicians in the area um, to for the demand, um, it's even harder then because we often if you're using a tiered service model, meaning you're, you have the behavior analyst who then supervises a direct care therapist who's there every day for the intensive um, services, who's implementing everything hands-on um, each day, uh, finding qualified staff to serve that role um, is really challenging. And I think sometimes, because when you're using telehealth, it's sometimes being done in rural areas, it's even harder then because there's fewer people that live there Right, And so that means there's going to be even fewer people than that who have the right education and training to serve as that direct care therapist. So I would say that's certainly a barrier, but it's generally a barrier for local providers
0: too. Yeah, so it just seems like, you know, th- just given the number of people, the number of providers we have, the number of, of people that we have that need services, in a way, we kind of may need to get with telehealth a mm-hmm. little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anything with it, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent, excellent. Some of this we've kind of talked about, but, you know, what what would be the steps that you would suggest that someone would take to explore either just ABA therapy or exploring just telehealth, ABA therapy with telehealth, just finding a provider, you know, just getting started. Because, you know, as we mentioned, and you had mentioned that um, book by Sabrina Freeman, you know, that there's just a lot of questions and people are lost. And you're right, there's a lot of, you know, just kind of crocks out there. So what would be some of the steps that you would suggest people to take?
1: Yeah. Oh, such a great question. Because we're—it's just information overload. We live in <laughs> you know an information age, and for better or for worse, sometimes that makes it even yeah. harder, you know, to make decisions. So what I would say is that you know, given that there are so many. Uh, resources and information out there with books on the internet, you know, talking with others, I think the best thing to do is to get, you know, a select few books um, to get started, but really talk to your physician and connect with local agencies that specializes in connecting families and directing them toward available resources in the area. So a lot of times, you know, there are these groups, that they're kind of support groups essentially, but they're um, a little bit more organized and uh, operationally. So they don't just provide, you know, these support groups. They also uh, house uh, local information about, you know, what uh, businesses are out there, what therapeutic options, even things like, for example, out here in California, we have a fantastic group called Parents Helping Parents and their website, you can go on, they can connect you with advocates. They can, they have free workshops and trainings. Um, But one of the coolest things they have um, besides, you know, their support groups and these other resources is they have a database where you can go in and you can search a keyword. So for example, like let's say, you have a child who just can just does not tolerate haircuts and you know, you're, it's not something you're able to work on, you know, clinically right now, but you really want your child to be able to have a successful haircut. You know, (laughs) we all know how that is, can be a challenge in an everyday sense, but when you have a child, you know, with, um, you know, a disability or other needs, it can be even harder. So you can actually go in there and type, you know, haircut or, um, you know, hair salons and ones that have registered as having people on staff that are good um, with accommodating certain needs um, that will come up. Same thing with like if you wanted to search for like a swim, a swimming class or ABA therapy or, you know, and it's this fantastic database where you can search these things and, they'll, and they come up. Um, and so I think looking to find those available groups, those organizations in your area that can help filter the information. They're doing a lot of that work for you and they can provide that support, um, to help guide you in the right direction. And then when it comes to talking to your physician, the reason I suggest this is although a lot of physicians don't have any idea what ABA therapy is, a lot of them do now because of all of this insurance, um, man, all the insurance mandates and all of the debate, but in the end, when you're using insurance to cover uh, medically necessary treatment, often the, your provider is going to require a letter from your physician um, that you know states you know what the diagnosis is or what the medical need is and why they are specifically prescribing uh, ABA therapy um, for those needs. And that sometimes is like the minimum requirement for them to even you know move forward with any of those steps. So I think talking with your physician reaching out to some of these groups um, is a really great space. And when you go to some of those events, you're gonna meet other families and you can talk to them about their experiences with different ABA providers and help you, know, help you make a more informed decision um, before you choose one.
0: Yeah, we all need a lot of support. We all need support in, in those types of things. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, And, you know, I'm just, I'm just been listening, you know, to you today and just having, you know, thoughts of when I, like I mentioned, when I was actually designing, you know, this, these types of benefits and strategies for companies and, you know, there's a lot of pain. There were a lot of parents, you know, who came to me and, and were bringing me information on ABA therapy and there's the insurance company and they have mm-hmm. their own thoughts on it. And, you know, it, it, it. And, you know, I'm really feeling for these parents and want to provide them some kind of support and help. And, it, you know, just to, I mean, just to hear like, this is where we are today. Yeah. And it hasn't, it has not been that long. It's no. really remarkable. It is It remarkable. is really remarkable. Yeah. We've come that's a long way. So. Oh, absolutely. And in and, and a short period of time, but it does, it takes diligence and takes focus and you just have to stay at it.
1: Yep. Fighting the good
0: fight. <laughs> Friday the good fight. Absolutely. So tell me something about your company.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, my, uh, my company's name is in Beauty, Um, and my, uh, purpose in, you know, in my clinical practice is to really provide, like we kind of talked about here is just individualized treatment, um, primarily in a focused treatment model, meaning, you know, this is where you're going to come in a consultative basis. You know, You might come to me and say, you know, like, these are um, our family struggles these are our values this is what we hope for our children um, and for our lifestyle you know how can we create an individualized treatment to address that and so i offer um, consultative services for building healthy relationships between parent and child uh medic medication management so perhaps you have a child you know your your child is on a kind of a cocktail of medications or you feel like you're not sure what's helping what's not and how it relates to their behavior can help you there Uh, sleep problems, um, obviously challenging behaviors. So perhaps you're battling, you know, as people joke, the terrible twos where maybe you're having a lot of tantrums, um, and you're struggling to get them to use their words in a way that is, uh, effective and, um, helpful in those kind of trying times when they're struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of things like that, toilet training, um, just common everyday things across sure. whether you have a di- your child has a diagnosis or not. Uh, I also provide uh, supervision for students of behavior analysis who are working toward their certification, and hopefully, in, yeah, and hopefully in the future, um, I will be adding a service for ab- you know um, education advocacy. So a lot of families yeah. struggle collaborating with schools to get their child what they need, you know, the support that they need. Um, And so sometimes having someone to be an extra layer of your voice to get, you know, to advocate for the child and what they need um, is something that a lot of families uh, don't have access to, but really need. So hopefully in the near future, I'll be adding that as well. Um, But yeah, it's just a really uh, individualized, uh, focused treatment model for consultation.
0: Excellent. And it's imbuity. Yes. And. And
1: what does that mean? Mm. So when I was coming, <laughs> yeah. So when I was coming up with a name, um, I really wanted something that communicated, um, you know, wanting to help, inform, you know, instill, inspire. Um, and so, in come, just in that process of choosing a name that had meaning and reflected my mission, uh, yeah. in- imbue was a word that came up, and it sounds beautiful and. Um, just kind of it tacked does. on, yeah. <laughs> just tacked, tacked on some letters to, to you know, make it a different, unique word. And, um, and yeah. And my logo is an abstract black hole. Uh, I love astronomy Astronomy. and, you know, black holes, you know, suck things in, right? So I want the people I work with to feel like they're really absorbing, um, you know, feeling inspired by the, you know, the information I'm giving them that empowers them to live happier, more fulfilled lives.
0: Ah, what a great explanation. Hey, everyone, Thank you. have, well, I have to go to your website, beauty.com and I'm, I'm going to post it also. You'll have to go Fantastic. to it. To see it. <laughs> so we're coming to the end of the podcast. And at the end of every podcast, I like to leave listeners with the one thing that they can do. So Megan, what is the one thing that you would suggest we can do starting today to become more aware of ways that we can use health technology such as telehealth in a healthy way?
1: Oh, man. It's a beautiful question. Uh, from my From my perspective, I think we should all just take you know take a step back and consider how we use technology in our daily lives. Um, you know, all technology was new and confusing at some point, but humans are great at learning and adapting to changes in their environment. So, the best part is that this adaptation is pretty much always. For the better, and so I think just thinking about um, FaceTime, Skype—you know how those technologies have played a role in allowing us to face um, face each other, you know, connect with each other, um, even at great distances. So it's wonderful, wonderful to be able to connect with others more easily. And um, I think I'm just in favor of us being behaviorally flexible and open to change as long as it improves our lives. So. I think telehealth does that, and I think we should just take moments to see the positives about technology and what it's allowing us to do with human contact.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. So, Thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> absolutely. And if someone is, is, wants to get in contact with you, there's imbuity.com, but there's also other ways to connect with you right?
1: Yes. So you can email me. My name uh, is uh, spelled M A E G A N uh, at imbuity.com. And then um, I also have my business number, both you know, on the website. Um, and okay. I also have many, um, I have fa- a Facebook page for imbuity as well as a LinkedIn page. So you can find me on most platforms. We can connect
0: Excellent. And I will post all that um, on reenvisionhealth.com so you can get in contact with Megan. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been like a very informative conversation um, and very inspiring. Very. Inspiring. Oh, you're so
1: welcome. I'm just very, very lucky and pleased to be here. And thanks for inviting me.
0: Thank you. Thank you.